turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Attorney General Merrick Garland is uh, offered a belated press conference today to try to offer some insight into the FBI raid of a former president's residence. America deserves an explanation. The attorney general is charged with seeing justice meted out in a fair and apolitical way. And many aren't convinced that was the case with the raid of Mar-a-Lago. Concerned that the effort uh, meted out in a pretextual raid related to the January 6th investigation is one of the major questions that many have been asking about what um, what the impetus behind This rather aggressive raid was about. Was it necessary? Why a battalion of FBI agents? If reports are accurate, the Trump team complied with an earlier subpoena. They offered 15 boxes of documents that were given. Access to additional storage was also given. Well, instead, the FBI descended as if it was expecting a virtual firefight just before uh, the uh, former president was about to announce his reelection campaign. It raises questions. Now, there may be good answers. We just don't know until that clarification is made. The other question is, was the judge who signed off on the subpoena aware of Trump's prior cooperation? We don't know the answer to that question. Um, questioning why a second subpoena didn't suffice to uh, get additional information since the first one was successful. Well, the Presidential Documents Act... Um, uh, it, uh, is, uh, is not uncommon to see these kinds of conflicts where you see, uh, the president leave office and they take more than they should have, or there's questions about what was, uh, left and what was taken. Newsweek magazine even reported that the attorney general, Merrick Garland, didn't even approve the raid, that maybe it was a deputy attorney general. And that raises some serious questions as well. Did the attorney general not recognize how serious and politically misunderstood this might be? Uh, it is surprising. Um, some are suggesting this is a thinly veiled excuse or an abuse of power. Speculation has overwhelmed evidence. And so the attorney general providing evidence is an important part of of all of this, putting rumors and speculation to rest um, to unseal the arrest warrant, the affidavit. Andrew Cuomo, who, of course, is a Democrat, along with others, are suggesting this is a serious issue and must be addressed by the attorney general and the FBI. Meanwhile, a potential threat at an FBI field office in Ohio sent police on a chase after an unknown suspect remains at large, uh, according to sources and local reports. A law enforcement source confirmed an incident happened at the FBI Cincinnati field office and involved an armed suspect who fled the scene. The unconfirmed information shared internally among agents suggests the suspect possibly brandished a nail gun and an AR-15 style rifle. 
Law enforcement pursued the chase and the suspect traveling about 60 miles northwest before the pursuit ended on I-71, Highway 73 there. Multiple shots were fired during the standoff. Law enforcement teams are getting into position for an interaction and roads are being closed in that area. Additional information is expected at some point in the not too distant future. At approximately 9 a.m., an armed suspect attempted to breach the visitor screening facility at FBI Cincinnati, according to a tweet from uh, FBI there. Another law enforcement source said that the office is now secure and safe after the incident. And according to the outlet, the FBI said the suspect was armed but would not disclose with what type of weapon, uh, although reports that he had the uh, uh, the rifle that I mentioned just a few moments ago, the AR-15 style weapon. A Clinton County Emergency Management Agency sent out an alert announcing a lockdown in the effort for all buildings within a one-mile radius of the interaction of the um, that particular center, and it advised people to lock their doors and remain inside. Uh, again, that suspect is um, very likely apprehended as we speak. Well, in uh, ref- reflecting on and referring to the uh, raid of Mar-a-Lago, we're learning that the raid was based largely on information from an FBI confidential human source, one who was able to identify what classified documents the former president was still hiding or holding on to, and even the location of those documents. That's according to two senior government officials. This is a report from Newsweek magazine. The officials who have direct knowledge of the FBI's deliberations and were granted anonymity in order to discuss sensitive matters said the raid of uh, Donald Trump's Florida residence was deliberately timed to occur when the former president was away. The decision makers in Washington and Miami thought that denying the former president a photo op or a platform from which to grandstand or to attempt to thwart the raid would lower the profile of the event, says uh, one of the sources. I'm not sure that was, in fact, the case. A senior Justice Department official who is a 30 year veteran of the FBI said in response, well, the effort to keep the raid low key failed. Instead, it prompted a furious response from GOP leaders and Trump supporters. What a spectacular backfire. Uh, the judicial, the justice official has now said, I know that there is much speculation out there that this is a political prose- a persecution. Uh, But it is really the best and the worst of the bureaucracy in action, the official said. They wanted to punctuate the fact that this was a routine law enforcement action, stripped of any political overtones, and yet they got exactly the opposite. And again, the way they went in, the timing of it, I'm not sure you can make that uh, argument convincingly, even if that was their intent, that it was uh, stripped of any political overtones. Well, both senior government officials say the raid was scheduled with no political motive. The the FBI's sole uh, intent on recovering highly classified documents that were illegally removed from the White House. Now, as I've mentioned before, it is not unusual for former presidents to take documents that should have been left. Um, so this is not some new, unusual uh, thing that happens, but you've never seen uh, the kind of response that we saw on Monday. Uh, preparations to conduct such an operation began weeks ago, we're told. But in planning the date and time, the FBI Miami field office and the Washington headquarters were focused on the former president's scheduled return to Florida from his residence in New York and New Jersey. Uh, they were seeking to avoid any media circus. That's almost laughable. We're talking about the former president. We're talking about Donald Trump. This is what the second source says, a senior intelligence official who was briefed on the investigation and the operation. So even though everything made sense bureaucratically, 
And the FBI feared that the documents might be destroyed. They also created the very firestorm they sought to avoid in ignoring the fallout. Now, they had to have been aware of the political environment that we're in, the fact that the former president was very likely to announce a second run for the White House um, uh, has yet to do so. But this uh, this miscalculation is really breathtaking. On Monday at about 10 a.m., two dozen FBI agents and technicians showed up at Donald Trump's Florida home to execute a search warrant to obtain an, any government owned documents that might be in possession of uh, Trump but are required to be delivered to the archives under the provisions of the Presidential Records Act. Now, again, in response to the Hillary Clinton email scandal, Trump himself signed a law in 2018 that made it a felony to remove and retain classified documents. So while this has been an issue with virtually every modern president, we've not seen efforts to apprehend those documents carried out in such a way. The act establishes that presidential records are the property of the U.S. government and not a presidential private property. Put in place after Watergate to avoid the abuses of the Nixon administration, the law imposes strict penalties for failure to comply. Whoever having the custody of any uh, such record, proceeding, map, book, document, paper, or other thing willfully and unlawfully conceals, removes, mutilates, obliterates, falsifies, or destroys the same, shall be fined $2,000 up to three years in prison or shall forfeit his office and be qualified from holding any office under the United States, end quote. Well, the act and concerns about the illegal possession of classified national defense information are the basis for the search warrant, according to the two sources. The raid had nothing to do with the January 6th investigation or any other alleged wrongdoing by the former president. And again, it does beg the question, why this kind of show of force this time around when we've had similar disputes before? Well, the road to the raid began a year and a half ago when in the transition from the Trump administration to the president, Joe Biden, there were immediate questions raised by the National Archives and Records Administration as to whether the presidential records turned over to the federal agency for historical preservation were complete or not. In February, the archivist testified before Congress that his agency started talking to Trump's people right after they left office and that the Trump camp had already returned 15 boxes of documents to the archives. Uh, In those materials, the archives discovered items marked as classified national security information, unleashing further inquiries as to whether the president, the former president, uh, continued to possess classified material, although they weren't certain that he did. The basic outlines of the facts surrender, uh, surrounding rather this timeline had been confirmed by the former president. He has previously said that he was returning uh, any official records to the archives, labeling any confusion uh, in the matter as an ordinary and routine process to ensure the preservation of my legacy and in accordance with the Presidential Records Act. He also claimed the archives did not find anything in what he had already been returned Uh, He had already returned, suggesting that there was uh, nothing sensitive. He said the documents had inadvertently shipped to Florida during the six hour transition period in which his belongings were moved. It happens regularly. Well, according to the Justice Department source, the archives saw things differently, believing that the former White House was stonewalling and continuing to possess unauthorized material. Earlier this year, they asked the Justice Department to investigate. In late April, the sources said the federal grand jury started deliberating whether there was a violation of the Presidential Records Act or whether the president unlawfully possessed national security information. 
Well, through the grand jury process, the National Archives provided federal prosecutors with copies of the documents received from former President Trump in January of this year. The grand jury concluded that there had been a violation of the law, according to the Justice Department source. Well, in the past week, the prosecutor in the case and local assistant U.S. attorney went to Florida's magistrate uh, in Palm Beach uh, to seek approval for the search of Donald Trump's private residence. The affidavit to obtain the search warrant, the intelligence source says, contained abundant and uh, persuasive detail that Trump continued to possess the relevant records in violation of federal law and that investigators had sufficient information to prove that those records were located at Mar-a-Lago, including the details that they were contained in a specific safe in a specific room. Now, that goes back to the report that there was an insider who gave information that uh, uh, specifically on not only what documents, but where those documents were being held at Mar-a-Lago. Well, according to experts familiar with the FBI practices, Judge Reinhardt reviewed the prosecutor's evidence, asked numerous questions about the sources of the ur- and the urgency. The judge signed a search warrant that allowed for the FBI to look for relevant material and the FBI then planned to the operation. They wanted to conduct the raid while Trump was uh, spending time at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. The Secret Service source uh, who spoke on background said the Secret Service director was given advance warning and was later told the specifics of the raid. So it was widely known among those um, protecting the president and uh, those in the FBI and the attorney general's office who we're now being told did not sign off on it. Well, because this Secret Service is still responsible for protecting the former president, his family, and his property, the FBI had to coordinate with the Secret Service to gain access to the grounds. Well, a convoy of unmarked black SUVs and a rider rental truck filled with about a dozen FBI special um, special agents and technicians entered the gates in the early evening. They were heavily armed with Secret Service agents, were also visibly presented at the gate, Uh, The entire operation was conducted relatively stealthily. No FBI people were seen in their iconic blue windbreakers announcing the presence of the bureau. And though uh, local law enforcement was present, the Palm Beach Police Department was careful to tweet on Tuesday that it was not aware of the existence of a search warrant, nor did our department assist the FBI in the execution of the search warrant. Well, according to news reports, some 10 to 15 boxes of documents were removed from the premises. Donald Trump said in a statement that the FBI opened his personal safe as part of their search. His attorney, Lindsay Halligan, who was present during the multi-hour search, said the FBI targeted three rooms, a bedroom, an office and a storage room. That suggests that the FBI knew specifically where to look and for what. This unannounced raid on my home, the former president said, was not necessary or appropriate. The former president said in a statement he called the raid prosecutorial misconduct, the weaponization of the justice system and an attack by radical left Democrats who desperately don't want me to run for president in 2024. Now, what the attorney general has to say about this raid may clarify or reinforce that uh, impression. Uh, Trump and his uh, Republican Party allies are portraying the raid as politically motivated. It's likely the unprecedented nature of the raid. And there are big questions about that. The raid on the property of a former president 
It'll have the greatest reverberation and has already had that. Even Trump's political rivals have rallied in condemning the FBI. So it's not just political partisans. There are also Democrats who have raised some serious questions. Former Vice President Mike Pence, he tweeted that no former president of the United States has ever been subject to a raid of their personal residence in American history. His secretary of state and CIA director tweeted that Attorney General Merrick Garland must explain why 250 years of practice was upended with this raid. I serve on Benghazi committee where we proved Hillary possessed classified information. We didn't raid her home. The uh, Biden White House says the uh, president was not briefed about the Mar-a-Lago raid conveniently, knew nothing about it in advance. The Justice Department conducts investigations independently, the press secretary said on Tuesday. The senior Justice Department source says the Garland uh, was regularly briefed on the Records Act investigation, that he knew about the grand jury and what material federal prosecutors were seeking. He insists, though, that Garland had no prior knowledge to uh, of the date and time of the, spe- the specific raid, nor was he asked to approve it. I know it's hard for people to believe, says the official, but this was a matter for the U.S. attorney and the FBI. Again, it is hard to believe, given this is a former president, who is likely to announce a second run. FBI Director Christopher Wray ultimately gave his go-ahead to conduct the raid. The senior justice official says it really is a case of the Bureau misreading the impact. Well, that is certainly an understatement. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, more than 150 House members are currently registered as able to vote remotely, with a chamber set to consider the Democrats' major social spending and taxation bill tomorrow. According to the Clerk of the House, 152 members submitted proxy letters as of uh, late Thursday morning. Those letters designate a certain member as uh, able to vote in person on behalf of the member sending the letter. That means more than one-third of members may vote remotely on Friday as the House considers the Inflation Reduction Act, which would raise over $700 billion in taxes and spend more than $400 billion. Now, the bill is the product of more than a year of negotiations among Democrats on a party-line social agenda bill. It was previously called Build Back Better. In fact, it could be referred to as Build Back Better Light because that's precisely what it is. Uh, It was expected to cost more than $3 trillion before being massively scaled back. Uh, Almost all the proxy letters were submitted in the uh, past two weeks ahead of the expected August recess vote. Members with the active uh, proxy letters span both parties, including Representatives Lauren Boebert, Republican from Colorado, Jamal um, Bowman, a Democrat from New York, Cory Bush from Missouri, Democrat, James Comer, a Republican from Kentucky, Byron Donalds, Republican Florida, and others. However, just because a member has an active proxy letter does not mean that they will not be present to vote. The number of members submitting proxy letters has traditionally increased when the House is taking votes during holidays, a recess or other times when members don't want to be in Washington, D.C. Well, despite this dynamic proxy voting in the uh, House was uh, instituted for COVID-19 related reasons. Now, according to the resolution that sets establishes um, the process in their proxy letters, members write that they are unable to physically attend proceedings in the House chamber due to the ongoing public health emergency. 
which no longer exists. Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi most recently extended the period under which the proxy voting supply uh, applies rather to September 26th. It is uh, unclear when the House may uh, get rid of its proxy voting rules. The chamber's such uh, sergeant at arms continues to certify that there is a public health emergency due to the coronavirus. And in their defense, the president did, in fact, contract the coronavirus. So I suppose they have reason for concern. Well, there are ways that the Inflation Reduction Act would wallop your wallet. It's masquerading as the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. The bill passed on Sunday by the Senate is nothing more than a a Trojan horse for more of the same policies that created the stagflationary fire consuming the economy in the first place. Zealous federal commitment to central planning led to this economic condition. And having time and time again championed these policies after each unmitigated failure, the president is yet to again, or I should say yet again, peddling another a round of central planning with your family and uh, in the crosshairs. Well, it further weaponizes the Internal Revenue Service. In fact, under this uh, plan, there would be four times more Internal Revenue Service agents than there are Border Patrol agents. The bill provides an $80 billion slush fund for the IRS to raise an army of 87,000 more agents. The unwarranted, unconstitutional and autocratic FBI raid on the former president's uh, Florida home on Monday lays bare for all the world to see the true purpose of the provision and how it might be abused. Well, this near doubling of the size of the IRS is being presented as merely a way to increase enforcement activities. In reality, it would mean costly audits for Americans from all walks of life, further political targeting and federal nitpicking over every operation done by small business. Currently, four out of five IRS audits are on those making between no income at all and $200,000 per year. Some 51% are on those with $75,000 or less in annual income. Far from targeting tax cheats, most audits by the IRS are of people who cannot afford the legal costs of fighting them, which often run into the thousands of dollars. This is a naked attempt to weaponize the IRS against the American people to further an agenda and shake them down for whatever the bureaucrats can grab. Another concern, doubling down on recession. The Inflation Reduction Act, as it's named, would likely result in 900,000 fewer jobs reduce average household income by about $1,200 and result in uh, higher rates of inflation, despite its name. With dramatic tax hikes falling on workers and job creators, increased regulations, federal manipulation of the market and the increased deficits, how could this bill do harm to the economy? Well, in a number of ways. It intensifies inflation. The bill likely would increase federal inflationary deficits by at least $350 billion over the next decade. It would generate $110 billion in underlying deficits and interest costs and $240 billion in economic harm related to deficits and net interest costs using Congressional Budget Office rules of thumb. Now, these deficits would need to eventually be paid back through either new taxes or more inflationary creation of money by the Federal Reserve. In the current economic climate, these deficits would result in even more inflationary pressures. The market would anticipate more of the past two years, namely the government printing money that to uh, quietly impose an inflation tax to fund its endless projects. Well, despite the, uh, the absurdity of raising taxes during a recession, that's exactly what this bill would do. Hiking taxes for all. Overall, it would increase taxes by $570 billion or $4,500 per household. 
At least $136 billion of those taxes would fall ultimately on low- and middle-income families. The average middle-income household would see a tax burden of more than $2,400 from this bill alone. Well, an estimated um, one-third of the revenue increase would come from aggressive IRS audit activities to pressure mostly low- and middle-income families to settle. That's where the money is. The other two-thirds of the revenue increases would come through increased taxes on businesses. However, businesses can't pay taxes. Uh, they can only redirect the burdens. And those burdens would be left through, um, uh, would be felt rather through reduced paychecks and job opportunities, slower economic growth, and increased consumer prices. In essence, the government would take more of your money directly so it can shield itself from the inflation it will cause. Uh, it will ship jobs overseas. Nearly half of the new business taxes would fall on U.S. manufacturers driving them once again overseas to countries like China. These uh, tax hikes would work to destroy the U.S. industrial base and sap future growth. The corporate minimum tax included in the bill would directly penalize investments made in expanding operations and building new facilities. The stock buyback tax would trap capital with established and less dynamic companies, preventing those funds from being reinvested and in innovative and dynamic ventures. It also assaults American energy production, which, of course, would be a continuation of the same. These uh, effects would be compounded by the bill's assault on American energy production. The bill would increase by roughly 50 percent the fees imposed on domestic oil producers on federal lands. It would send $369 billion of your money to politically connected green industries. Remember Solyndra to shift trillions upon trillions of investment dollars into green boondoggles. Congressional Democrats claim this would reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 40 percent and save the climate, but with no proof, just rhetoric. Now, doing so would accomplish nothing environmentally, no matter what one thinks about global warming. Even if the U.S. immediately cut 100 percent of its greenhouse gas emissions overnight, it would result perhaps in 0.2 percent of a degree of uh, global cooling by the end of the century. And yet policies um, that the left has put forward Uh, To cut greenhouse gas emissions and eliminate conventional energy would waste more than $7.7 trillion and nearly double gas prices, according to a model by the Heritage Foundation. In other words, all pain, no gain. It would make health care less affordable. The bill would likely increase taxpayer costs by $248 billion over the next decade and contribute to higher insurance prices, all at your expense through more Obamacare subsidies. Also, the bill would ensure that while the government gets a, de- gets a deal on drug prices, you won't. This mandate would do nothing to reduce the real costs associated with producing medicine. The costs would instead be passed on to everyone else through increased drug prices, reduced drug production and slashed research budgets to produce new life-saving drugs. Well, the bottom line is the uh, misnamed Inflation Reduction Act strikes at the rich and the poor alike and would adversely affect every American family. The bill, coated in a thin veneer of cheap political rhetoric, represents a blind commitment to the failed policies under which we are now suffering. There is, however, a right way to reduce inflation, namely cut federal regulation, taxation and spending. Reducing the burdens of government would allow Americans more control over their own money and would facilitate the dynamic engines of our economy to prosper once more. That's not likely to happen. The bill is up um, and will be up before the House, I would imagine, in days. And we'll follow that story as it develops. Once again, um, 
those 87,000 IRS agents, four times more uh, than U.S. Border Patrol agents. Thomas Gallatin says this, with the enormously titled Inflation Reduction Act on the edge of being passed in the Democrat-controlled House, thanks to Senator Joe Manchin's about face on Joe Biden's spending boondoggle, just over a week ago, Americans expect to see a dramatic increase in the size of the Internal Revenue Service. The Democrats claim to the contrary, notwithstanding, middle-class taxpayers will soon feel the heat of tens of thousands of more IRS employees seeking to pounce on any tax-filing blunder. With $80 billion in new budget allocations over the next decade, all of which ultimately comes from taxpayers, combined with the addition of 87,000 new IRS employees, the notion that this legislation will have no impact on the average taxpayer, as the administration insists, simply doesn't pass the sniff test. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, excuse me, coming up in the five o'clock hour, Pastor Alan Jackson, his latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Well, saying deplorable and dangerous, FBI Director Ray is pushing back on threats following the unprecedented raid on former President Trump's Florida home. And as I mentioned earlier, there was, in fact, an attempt on an FBI um, office in Cincinnati, hypocritically up, which is unacceptable, by the way, hypocritically upset. The Texas uh, uh, buses taking migrants to New York City has set off a firestorm from Democrats. Governor Abbott tells them to wake up and to take it up with the president. Now, these are sanctuary cities until they're actually being called upon to provide sanctuary. Fit their narrative, former University of Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines believes the media pushed propaganda to make it seem like she tried to awkwardly dodge a kiss on the cheek from former President Trump on stage at the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC, last week. I think these recent headlines show how the media is pushing propaganda to fit their narrative, Gaines said. Uh, By no means, not even for a second on that stage, was I uncomfortable sharing that space with Trump, end quote. If you build it, well, Major League Baseball decided to pay homage to one of the greatest baseball movies of all time and introduced MLB at the Field of Dreams in 2021. Well, last year's inaugural contest was a great success. This year, two more historic uh, franchises will battle it out in the cornfields of Dyersville. In a capital uphill battle, the Manchin-Schumer bill is on a glide path in the House, but obstacles remain given Democrats' disunity. Playing word games, MSNBC figures a balk at calling the Mar-a-Lago search a raid, even as their colleagues use the very term. In the spin zone, a CNN and Axios reporter uh, see the positives in the July inflation number despite the 8.5% annual spike. The New York Attorney General has deposed Trump over alleged false business representations. This comes just two days after the Florida home is raided raided by the FBI. The Daily Wire reports that the former president is facing a deposition from New York Attorney General Letitia James in relation to the civil investigation into his family's business practices. He pled the fifth throughout. The Wall Street Journal weighs in. In a statement Wednesday, the president said he was following the advice of his counsel to assert his right under the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution to not answer questions when your family, your company and all the people in your orbit have become the targets of an unfounded, politically motivated witch hunt supported by lawyers, prosecutors and the fake news media. You have no choice. 
uh, the, the former president said. He said the search of his Florida residence Monday by federal agents also impacted his decisions. I have absolutely no choice because the current administration and many prosecutors uh, in the uh, county have lost all moral and ethical bounds of decency. The federal agent's uh, search in Florida is related to the White House documents and is separate from the state attorney general's office probe. Well, the Department of Justice is being pressured to reveal the reason for raiding President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. And in that regard, the Justice Department had to respond to motions to unseal a warrant that triggered the FBI raid on former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. That's according to a magistrate judge who reportedly approved the search. Well, the attorney general spoke to the American people moments ago. It was much anticipated. People were holding their breath to see whether or not major questions were going to be answered. There was concern that the effort meted out in the pretextual raid related to the January 6th investigation and had little to do with documents. Why was the raid necessary? Why a battalion of FBI agents? Why do it when the president wasn't present? If reports are accurate, the Trump team had been complying with earlier subpoenas. Fifteen boxes of documents had already been given, and access to additional storage was given at Mar-a-Lago. Well... What was the answer to these growing concerns? The attorney general got up and said that he admired the men and women of the FBI. They work hard to protect the rights and interests of the American people and vowed not to say anything else at this time. Well, as I mentioned, there has been uh, a uh, some pressure brought to bear to release information with regard to um, what motivated and what the uh, pretext was or the text was for Uh, This raid, but that has not yet been made available. Wow. It was very disappointing. Well, according to a Trafalgar Convention of States poll, voters are galvanized after the former president's home is raided by the FBI. The Washington Examiner reports that a quickie Trafalgar Convention of States poll following Monday's FBI raid of the former president, um, uh, his winter home, boosted voter enthusiasm among Republicans and independents, most of which believe the search was politically motivated to punish the 45th president. Now, was it politically motivated? Quite frankly, we don't know. There are many reasons why one would make that assumption. And it goes beyond that event alone. It goes to the uh, Russian uh, collusion hoax and how the FBI manipulated information in that. So there are reasons beyond this uh, particular raid that people might Um, hinge their skepticism on, but we don't know. And the attorney general did not allay our fears. 76.7% of Republican voters believe the president's political enemies are behind the probe, the raid on his private home. 53.9% of independent voters believe Trump's political enemies are behind the FBI raid. 83.3% of Republican voters say the FBI raid on his home has increased their motivation to vote in the 2022 election. 71.7% of independent voters say the FBI raid on Trump has increased their motivation to vote in 2020, uh, 2022 rather. So interestingly, the Democrats are motivated by the reversal of Roe. Republicans, and not all, but in either camp, but Republicans motivated by the raid on the former president's home. Steve Cortez uh, says that uh, the poll shows 83 percent of Republicans are more motivated to vote because of the police state raid against the president's home and office. So what impact will recent events have on voter turnout in the midterm elections? The president's decision to announce that he plans to seek a second term, uh, whether or not the sitting president will seek a second term and what the future holds will be rather interesting. Now, fortunately, my uh, 
my future hope and joy does not hinge on the answers to those questions, but they are interesting and will have an impact on um, on our country and on our pocketbook and uh, law lawlessness, law abiding across the, the country. So anyway, we'll continue to follow those stories. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Need to take a quick break, but we will be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Internal Revenue Service Commissioner claims that the agency will not weaponize, uh, will not be weaponized against the middle class or small business. And while the Democrats' uh, Inflation Reduction Act will use taxpayer dollars to pack the Internal Revenue Service with 87,000 new agents, White House Press Secretary Karine, I could never get her name quite right, uh, Jean-Pierre claimed there uh, won't be any new audits on people making less than $400,000. None. No new audits. The claim is ridiculous on its face. Over 99% of Americans make less than $400,000 per year. So what would be the purpose of 87,000 uh, new IRS agents if 99% of Americans fall below what they can actually audit. And while the IRS employs um, more than 78,000 people full-time now, the agency has fewer than 66,000 agents as of March to handle its audits. But the uh, White House wants you to believe these 87,000 new agents will be reserved for auditing the top 1% with no effect on everyday Americans. Well, Americans who uh, earn less than $75,000 per year are slated to receive 60% of the additional tax audits expected under the spending package, according to an analysis released by House Republicans. Don't worry, though. IRS Commissioner Charles Reddig, he claims the agency will absolutely not use the new funding or 87,000 new agents to target Americans. So apparently they'll be going to Guatemala. We are supposed to trust him like we trust Uh, or other institutions like the Department of Justice. Well, House Democrats asked Wyoming Democrats to switch parties in order to vote for Republican Liz Cheney. Two House Democrats from New Jersey and Minnesota are appealing to members of their own party in Wyoming, uh, Wyoming rather, to consider changing their affiliations ahead of the state's contentious Republican primary on the 16th of this month in order to back incumbent Representative Liz Cheney. In separate advertisements from an organization called Wyomingites Defending Freedom and Democracy, Representatives Tom Malinowski and Dean Phillips asked Wyoming Democrats to consider temporarily switching parties in order to vote for Cheney, one of Donald Trump's most vocal critics over Cheney's Trump-backed opponent. The Daily Wire says that the strategy seeks to keep Cheney in power as she faces tough competition from Republican candidate Harriet Hagman, who has uh, been endorsed by the former President Trump. The congresswoman has also faced strong opposition from her own party in Wyoming over her vote to impeach the former president after the January 6th 2021 event and her involvement in the House Select Committee to investigate the events of that day. Ilhan Omar has kept her Minnesota seat by a very narrow margin. Uh, Don Samuels, the Minneapolis uh, community activist who attempted to unseat the congresswoman and squad member, Representative Ilhan Omar, in the Democratic primary, conceded the race on Tuesday, setting up Omar as the heavy favorite to win the third term in Congress, with 98 percent of precincts reporting Omar has received 56,392 votes. That's 50.39% of the vote compared to her opponent's 53,890 votes 
or 48.15 percent of the vote. None of the other three candidates in the Democratic primary cracked one percent of the vote. Very close. Samuels argued that Omar is divisive, helped defeat a ballot question last year that sought to replace the city police department with a new public safety unit. He and others also successfully sued the city to force it to meet minimum police staffing levels called the Minneapolis Charter. Samuels said his narrow loss shows that Omar is beatable. If this was the general election, no doubt that we would have won this race, Omar countered. Tonight's victory is a testament to how much our district believes in the collective values we are all fighting for. The U.S. continues to sail warships in the Taiwan Strait, even while China inches closer to taking the island. The New York Times reports that the administration is vowing to continue sailing warships through the Taiwan Strait and to conduct air operations in the region in response to Chinese military drills that U.S. officials say are evolving into a long-term strategy of heightened military pressure on the island. Administration officials said that they did not want to escalate the intense confrontation, which China maintains was provoked by last week's visit to the island by Speaker Pelosi and her entourage. But in interviews and public statements, American and Taiwanese officials made clear they now believe China used Ms. Pelosi's visit as a pretext to step up its operations to intimidate Taiwan for months or years to come and perhaps speed the timetable of its plans to establish control over the island's 23 million people, much as it did Hong Kong. Reuters reports that China has withdrawn a promise not to send troops or administrators to Taiwan if it takes control of the island. An official document showed on Wednesday signaling a decision by President Xi Jinping to grant less autonomy than previously offered. China's white paper on its position on self-ruled Taiwan follows days of unprecedented Chinese military exercises near the island, which Beijing claims as its territory in protest against U.S. House Speaker Pelosi's visit last week. Dr. Fauci is puzzled. He's complaining about Americans' hesitancy to vaccinate, to boost and to wear masks. The good doctor complained during a talk Tuesday evening with that many Americans see forced masking policies as a violation of their liberties. Imagine that. During the talk, uh, Fauci, who is President Biden's chief medical advisor and the director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, expressed concern about Americans' aversion to both forced masking and receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. He characterized individuals' concern with such policies as inexplicable. When you tell people they need to mask in an indoor congregate uh, setting, that uh, when you're in a zone that has a high dynamic of infection that it looked upon by a lot of people, not everybody, as an encroachment on their freedom, Fauci said in a campus in Seattle. We've never had that before, he added. We've never had people clinging to their liberty and rejecting government um, dictates, he added. It, uh, almost, it's almost inexplicable. Well, Fauci's comments come a week after he said that He would change anything if he would change anything about his response to the pandemic. He would have recommended that the government impose much, much more stringent restrictions during the spring of 2020. So there you have it. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next hour, we'll hear from Pastor Alan Jackson. He's going to be the speaker at the uh, 2022 Pastors Appreciation Breakfast in November. But he's the author of a new book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and deception. Pastor Alan Jackson coming up in the second hour of today's program. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Well, good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, living in a time of global uncertainty, economic instability and extreme political division, it's left us feeling weary and discouraged. But God has not abandoned his people or his purpose. Well, in his latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, Pastor Alan Jackson reminds us that even when the world around us is shaking, God's kingdom remains unshakable. As Christians, we can hold tight to the gospel and decipher the gathering storm clouds through the lens of Scripture. As you uh, read uh, uh, Pastor Jackson's book in exploring recent world events in light of biblical and historical realities, you'll realize you can flourish as a believer um, so that you're part of uh, the church that is standing and respond to the news, social media, friends with confidence and peace, and be encouraged that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, Pastor Alan Jackson and his wife, Kathy, live uh, near Nashville, Tennessee, where they have uh, served as senior pastor of World Outreach Church since 1989. Under his leadership, the church has grown from less than 30 people to more than 15,000. His mission is to help people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus, and his biblical messages now reach and encourage countless people through Alan Jackson Ministries. He joins us today to talk about his latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Pastor, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's good to be with you, Georgine. Thank you. You uh, characterize so well in the book the challenges that we face, and they tend to overwhelm us, but you put them in the context that every believer should be um, comfortable and familiar with. You put them in the context of Scripture so that we recognize, first of all, what Jesus said to expect and what's happening in our time. Uh, You state in the book, again, Big Trouble Ahead, that the 2020 Easter service at your church was really something of a wake-up call. Can you describe that service uh, and how it communicated something to you that hadn't dawned on you up to that point? I I can. It was was really a shocking day for me. I had always rather said, said rather pridefully, that we would have church no matter what happened. You know, we live in Tennessee, and if it snows in Kentucky, we close our schools here in Tennessee. So, you know, I would talk about inclement weather and say, no matter what the weather is, we'll have church. But then when the pandemic, we heard about the virus from Wuhan, we were closed for six weeks. And that Easter Sunday, I was standing in an empty room. I still hadn't sorted out what to do with all that. So I wore my suit and tie and stood in an empty room and looked at a little red light at the back of the room, talking to people that were sitting at home on their sofa in their pajamas. And I realized I had been leading a rather presumptive life. And so I began to rethink my approach to what we did and to reevaluate the privilege of gathering with God's people. And and we really walked out of that season with a different attitude and a different plan for the future. But it began with changes in our own hearts. Well, it was a very sobering season for many of us. And in fact, you refer to COVID-19 as a tremor, a foreshock of the challenges ahead. What what can we gain in terms of our understanding of what's coming in light of what we've just been through? Well, I think to understand, you know, the first messaging we got was that if we would go home for two weeks and shelter in place, we could flatten the curve and go back to normal. So three weeks into this, we realized that the messaging we had was inadequate. That's unsettling and uncomfortable. But at that point, we realized we're going to have to begin to watch and look and think for ourselves. And the bigger picture to me was that this is about far more than a pandemic. You know, we're two and a half years later now, and lawlessness has increased, violence has increased, Uh, our borders are still open, 
we have so many challenges from supply chain issues to global challenges of unrest um, to rising fuel prices. I mean, the, the chaos and the confusion, the misinformation or the disinformation, the censorship, the propaganda, this is about far more than a virus. And we're navigating a new landscape. But I also believe that God is moving in some very, very unique ways. And there are opportunities that we didn't recognize three years ago. So we have to decide whether we're going to be frightened or angry because there's been a change in the world around us, or we can see the opportunities and imagine a better future. And I'm going to vote for a better future. Amen. You write about uh, and offer some examples of deception and misinformation that flooded society then and continues to do so right now. Uh, Do you think COVID um, increased misinformation or just exposed what was already going on? Yeah, I think probably a little bit of both, but more than anything, I think for me at least, I was awakened to what was happening. Maybe we were distracted by our pursuit of comfort and convenience, and as long as we were comfortable and had the things that we wanted, we just didn't look at the inconvenient, uncomfortable things. But the truth is, disinformation has been growing for a long time. Uh, I I think we're seeing censorship in unprecedented ways. Some of our new communications platforms have made that much simpler and easier. You know, I remember the days when the ACLU would defend the the most heinous forms Mm -hmm. of speech under the sense of that First Amendment. And they seem to have lost the momentum of doing that in the current season. But so some things I think are new, but in reality, Much of what we're seeing in the public square today, I was hearing in the university settings decades ago. It's just made its way all the way down into our elementary schools now. And I think it's really good news. You can't get to a better outcome until you get an accurate diagnosis. And I think the awakening that's taking place about the reality of our circumstances is going to help us navigate a better future. That was one of the byproducts of the uh, the lockdown is that parents, perhaps for the first time, had an up-close and personal view of what their children were being taught or what they weren't being taught, and that was eye-opening. That was one area that um, the uh, the lockdown exposed, but I think it was an awakening in other areas as well. It was, and it's an area where I'm a bit embarrassed, to be honest. You know, I, I stepped out of some places with my biblical worldview because we were told that it wasn't appropriate for them to be there, whether it was our children's classrooms or some academic settings or corporate boardrooms. We were told that a Judeo-Christian worldview shouldn't be introduced into those places. And yet we find ourselves today where corporate boardrooms are very aggressively pushing a worldview issue to to the point that they will relocate the all-star game for baseball or all sorts of corporate Boardrooms have opinions about social systems. Well, those are just worldview opinions. Well, at this point now, I'm embarrassed that I took my Christian worldview and stepped aside. We have every bit as much of a right to have a voice in those public places as any other worldview does. And I think the Christians are going to have to wake up a bit. We don't want to be angry. We certainly don't want to be belligerent and absolutely not violent. But we have a place in the public square. And I think we abandoned it in the name of maybe tolerance or inclusivity. And I don't want to be less tolerant or less inclusive, but I certainly want a place at the table and a voice in the discussion. How could our churches have been uh, caught so unprepared? If we are familiar with the scriptures, we know that every generation will face uh, challenges. How could we be so unprepared or misinterpret uh, current events in such a way that we did not assume our rightful place of some influence 
and perhaps help during uh, this particular season and those that will follow? That is a very good question. And, and for me to understand that, I have to look back a little bit, because I, I don't think our circumstance is unusual. Jesus told the disciples in the plainest of language what would happen when they arrived in Jerusalem, and yet they were caught completely off guard. It was outside the realm of their expectation or their imagination. The same has happened to the church throughout history. You know, I have lived in Israel and studied at the university, Hebrew University, and I, I spent a lot of time in the Holocaust Museum. I have heard hundreds of interviews with survivors of the Holocaust, and they all begin with a very similar statement. I just couldn't believe that they would come for me, or I couldn't believe they would have that attitude towards me. And I think it's so easy to get engaged in a culture and take our eyes off the counsel we have from Scripture. And I think we've been a little guilty of that, but we're not the first generation to do that. The story of the Bible and the story of church history is about this consistent challenge for the people of God that we drift off course, and then we have to be awakened and be brought back to center. And then I think we have the privilege of being one of those generations now who are in the midst of an awakening. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But it's hopeful because there's a better future for us. I love that the subtitle of your book is A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. I think that for many of us in the church who know the scriptures, or at least somewhat, we have forgotten that flourishing is part of our future, even in the midst of the challenges that we face today and the challenges that are coming. Absolutely. Our future isn't secured by Wall Street or by the strength of the dollar. We don't need a 51% majority in order for the will of God or the purposes of God to go forward. What is essential is the hearts of God's people. Our problems do not stem from the depravity of the wicked. The challenges we face emerge from the indifference of the faithful. And if we will adjust our hearts and humble ourselves, I am quite confident that the creator of heaven and earth has a good plan for our future and we can trust him. Amen. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. Uh, He is the author of the latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Alan Jackson. He and his wife live near Nashville, Tennessee, where he served as senior pastor at World Outreach Church since 1989. His mission has been to help people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and his biblical messages now reach and encourage countless people through Alan Jackson Ministries. He is, in fact, going to be the speaker at our a pastor's appreciation breakfast that's coming up November the 3rd. And we'll give you more details as we draw nearer to that event um, here on the program as well. Well, Pastor Allen, um, you break down the Lord's Prayer line by line in the uh, chapter when you discuss the fundamentals of our faith. Is that where we begin with the fundamentals and understanding uh, the ground upon which we stand? I believe so. You know, I think in any endeavor, whether it's athletics or cooking or business or in our faith, the fundamentals really are the essentials if we're going to have meaningful success. And in Christianity, I think we've been distracted a bit. We've imagined to think it was about our style of worship or the translation of the Bible we read or the architecture of the building where we gather or something. And all of those things have a place, and we're certainly allowed to have a preference. But the fundamentals matter. When Jesus taught us to pray, He said he taught us to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
that's not going to be done in the abstract. God's will being expressed in the earth is going to be expressed through his people. So when we pray that, we're praying for personal transformation. It's a personal mission statement. We're not really asking God to change the ungodly. We're asking him to enable us to be expressions of his will in the earth. To me, that feels like a big assignment, but it is essential. And I have to decide that that's important. I have to intend for that to happen. And so, again, I think what we're walking through is more about a wake-up call for the people of God, that we will see his will done in the earth. And if we'll commit ourselves to that, I think it will be a most remarkable outcome. Is there a phrase in that prayer that you think most Christians either misunderstand or should revisit to fully understand what it is that God is calling us to? Well, I don't know if it's misunderstood. I'll tell you a phrase in there that gives me difficulty when he said to give me today my daily bread. I understand the meaning of those words, but what I would really like is all the bread I'm ever going to need for all of my days. And I'd like the key to the warehouse so I can go walk (laughs) around it and see what my future looks like. That invitation to trust God on a daily basis, for some reason, is uncomfortable. And I think it's an essential part of stability in our lives and having peace in our hearts is knowing exactly who it is that secures our future and why. And I think trusting God is probably a better path than trusting politicians or political parties or governments. I'm not opposed to any of those things, but the Lord is a more secure point of focus for our future. And I think that prayer is a wonderful invitation back to a better center point. Absolutely. I am so grateful for God's word. Can you talk a little bit about how we benefit as believers, specifically from the Holy Spirit? Mm, I can. When Jesus was getting ready to leave, you know, he had recruited his disciples. He said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they did. They walked away. They completely reordered their lives to follow Jesus. And they got three years into that adventure, and he sat down with them one day, and he said, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come. And they just about lost their minds. I mean, this was not the nature of the agreement as they had understood it. It wasn't the future they wanted. They had gained a great deal of confidence and trust in Jesus. And now he said he was leaving. And then he looked at him and he said something that's almost impossible to understand. He said, it's better for you if I go away, because if I do, I'll send you another comforter. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll guide you into all truth. And if that was true for Peter and James and John and the Marys and the rest of the crew that were with Jesus, I believe it's true for you and me, that the Holy Spirit present with us is the fullest possible provision that God can make for our lives. And I I just think we have had so much. We've been able to secure our futures on our own and imagine that we can navigate the world around us. We haven't had to be that dependent upon the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And a part of the opportunity we have these days is to begin to say to him in a quiet, gentle way, you're welcome in my life. I want to learn to recognize your voice. I want to cooperate with your promptings. I will follow your lead. If we will do that, I think we will find a tremendous comfort in the midst of the confusion. Amen. How should Christians respond to the rising threat of immorality, which uh, threatens to overwhelm many so they choose simply to disconnect altogether. If I'm unaware of what's happening, I won't be impacted by it, nor will I be called upon to do anything about it. Wow. Well, I think our assignment to be salt and light is unyielding. But sometimes we get confused about where that light needs to shine. I think it starts at our kitchen table. I think if we will bring our biblical perspective home and begin to talk about it with the people where we have influence closest to us, and then we'll have the courage to have that conversation 
with the people that we spend our discretionary time with, or perhaps at the ball fields and when we're with our children at the soccer games, that we'll find there are plenty of opportunities to discuss our biblical worldview. Um, it just takes courage. The hardest place in the world for me to be a Christ follower is at home. I can get on a plane and go to another country, and I'm a hero for Jesus. But living that faith out with my neighbors and the people that I'm doing life with is it takes determination and focus. But that's the place I think God will honor it and bring the change. We've got to bring our faith back to the kitchen table and tell one another the truth and help one another forward. And I believe God will bring about the outcomes we need. Are there pagan religious practices that we've unwittingly allowed to sort of take root in our personal and family lives? Is that a challenge for us? Absolutely. We've sacrificed 60 million of our children. We've allowed family to be redefined. We've redefined marriage. We have trouble identifying gender. Um, All of those seem almost beyond imagination, but they're as real within the church as they are without. And we've got to come back and begin to practice the truth of the Word of God as we know it. It's not that complicated. It's just not always easy. And we're going to have to have the courage to say, God, God was the one that designed sex. He's not a prude. He gave us a context in which it will bring the very best to human beings. And outside of that context, it's destructive. And we're going to have to have the courage to trust him and begin to be obedient to him and stop acting as if he didn't mean what he said. The truth isn't really a mystery to us. It's just been inconvenient. And so now it's time for the church to come back in humility and repent and begin to practice the truth that we understand. You write about in one of your chapters, the path of the coming storm. Uh, there are challenging uh, challenges that are coming that will exceed what we're experiencing today. Can you talk a little bit about what we might anticipate? And if we are um, being led by the Holy Spirit, if we are committed to, to God's word, if we take the, the Lord's Prayer seriously, uh, how we might respond and, as your subtitle suggests, flourish? Well, I think if you have the courage to open your eyes and to listen, we can recognize a pretty rapid deterioration around us. We're selecting people to some of the most influential places in our nation, and they're reluctant to define what a woman is. That's not really a complex question. Uh, In recent days that we've had an FBI raid or search of a former president's home, Um, I've watched, I've been around long enough to know that we've had a whole lot of elected officials who have been involved in a whole lot of questionable things, but we've never seen a response Mm -hmm. like this. We're seeing of politics in ways that are new to us. We have a border that we won't enforce. You can't survive as a sovereign nation if you don't enforce your borders. I mean, you you don't have to look very far to see behaviors that are beyond troubling. They threaten our existence. And again, I think we have to understand where the solution is going to come from. They're not going to originate with a politician or a political party. The solution is going to come from God, so that the response has to begin in the hearts of God's people. So rather than be angry or critical or judgmental, I believe it's time for us to humble ourselves and begin to bow our heads and talk to the Lord in ways with a greater determination than we have in recent years. And I believe we will see God respond. Absolutely. You make the point that it's important in times of tribulation to know and to tell your Jesus story. Some of us are, quite frankly, a little bit ashamed to tell our story. We call it something else, but we're very reluctant to share it out of fear that we're going to be rejected or ridiculed or any number of things. Why is it important, especially for us, to tell our stories, which are ours, they they can't really be disputed by someone who hasn't had that same experience. 
why is it so important for us to at least begin there to tell the story of our relationship, our walk with Jesus? Well, your observation is exactly correct. It's your story. And it, it's your reality. It's your truth. We hear your truth celebrated just about everywhere we listen these days. And as Christ followers, we need the courage to be willing to share what God has done in our life. We've had a, a mistaken either impression or goal that the church is not the Hall of Fame of Christianity. We don't gather in our churches on the weekends because we're perfect. In fact, quite the opposite is true. We're a triage unit. Mm-hmm. We come to church broken and wounded and we limp in. And we stand together in community and invite the presence of God to begin the process of healing and restoration and deliverance. And everybody's welcome. People say to me, Pastor, I don't want to go to church. There's so many hypocrites. And I usually answer the same way. Well, we've got room for one more. Come on, we'll squeeze you in. (laughs) Because we all start in that broken condition. And there's no shame in acknowledging that. The, the, The weakness or the failure comes when we pretend that we don't need God's help. And that's uh, certainly the challenge for us. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. So do stay with us. His latest book is simply titled Big Trouble Ahead. Yeah, I think we get that. A real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. Now that, that is a message we'd so desperately need to hear. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. He, along with his wife, lived near Nashville, Tennessee, where he served as senior pastor at World Outreach Church since 1989. Pastor Jackson is going to be the speaker at the Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast here in the, the Portland metro area, November the 3rd. So we'll uh, be giving you more details about that as well. Again, his book is titled Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Uh, Let me ask you what Bible passages you recommend for those who fear the coming tribulation and how we can keep our eyes on the prize. It's so tempting to focus on what's going on uh, on this earthly plane without looking up and remembering the context, the eternal context within which uh, we are experiencing life here on earth. Well, I think people being frightened is normal. You know, in, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of a storm, it's unsettling. And we're certainly walking through a storm. One of my favorite habits these days is to take a chapter from the book of Proverbs that deals, corresponds with the date. And then I choose a verse for that day, a promise out of that chapter that seems to bring me hope in the midst of the storm. It gives me something to think about on a daily basis other than the latest headlines. One suggestion I would make would spend more time reading your Bible than you read watching the news. Mm. Not the news a day, and you can get an overview of what's happening. You spend too much more time than that on the Internet chasing down your favorite conspiracy theory, and it starts to pollute your heart no matter which side of the equation you're on. Spend more time thinking about what God has told us he will do and he is doing than spending your time listening to what's going on. You can stay abreast of current events with a pretty minimal investment of time, and I'm not exactly sure which media outlet we trust anyway. I mean, one of the casualties in this season has been trust from the CDC to the FBI to the WHO to a whole host of alphabet organizations. We're not sure which message is trustworthy any longer. But God's word is still steadfast, and I believe we can trust him. 
Mm. I appreciate that in that chapter, you offer Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For when uh, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We have um, been given the the uh, promise of of heaven, the promise of victory, the promise of the return of Christ that can so easily be lost in uh, our being overwhelmed by events that are occurring uh, close to home. And you've described so well how we can um, saturate ourselves in that uh, that truth where whatever the source might be to the neglect of God's word. It's an easy easy you know trap to step into and it takes a bit more discipline to keep our focus on the lord but hebrews 12 says that jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and i think we can we're encouraged to fix our attention on him to use him as a model and i think we have to keep our focus on there's something better for us it's true that some of the systems in our present world order are shaking violently and i think some of them are going to collapse I don't think the the debt structure we're carrying as a nation is sustainable. We can't be $30 trillion in debt and just continue to add trillions of dollars because we want to hand out more money. The the government doesn't have money. They just spend hours. And we're going to have to create either – we're going to have to create something to compensate for that debt. So I suspect we're going to see some of the systems that we're familiar with collapse. But that doesn't diminish God's care, protection, or provision for our lives. And we'll have to have the discipline to keep our attention focused upon him. If he could deliver the Israelites from the the brick pits of slavery in Egypt and provide for them in the Negev wilderness. I checked my history. I don't believe Costco was open yet or Sam's when the Israelites were making their way through the Negev. And yet God fed them every day and provided water they needed and the clothing they needed and the medical care they needed. I'm pretty confident he can take care of us in the 21st century. You have a chapter titled Stand and Be Counted, that we need to be ready to stand. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like in the challenging season we find ourselves in and with big trouble ahead? Yes, I can talk about standing. You know, if you use if you don't use a muscle that atrophies, if you break your arm and they put a cast on it, and they take that cast off in six weeks, your arm looks different. Well the the, the contemporary church in our nation We've had so much freedom and so much liberty. We've, we really haven't had to stand too much. So I think those muscles have atrophied. And when you start to use muscles you haven't used before, it's not a pleasant experience. You, you get tired very quickly, and then you get sore, and they scream at you not to do that anymore. And I think we're enduring a little bit of that right now as a church. We haven't really had to stand up. We haven't had to be courageous. We haven't had to be particularly bold. We've learned how to retreat, and we've learned how to yield territory. And now we're having to walk back into the public schools and into the courtrooms and the classrooms and the places and say, our faith belongs here, too. And that's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel normal. It's not our habit. But I also believe we can do it in love and we can do it with boldness. If Peter and John could stand before the Sanhedrin, the group of people that orchestrated Jesus' execution, and they could say to them, you crucified the Lord of glory. And we will not stop saying that in this city or wherever they give us the opportunity. And they did that facing threats and imprisonment. 
then surely the 21st century, we can find a way to say we believe Jesus is Lord, that his message and his ministry is unique, and that he will bring good things to your life. Now, not everybody will cheer for us when we do that, but I believe we can strengthen those muscles and we can begin to stand in a way that will bring God's blessings to our children and our grandchildren. You write in your chapter, um, Stand and Be Counted, I do not want him to see me on that day and say, oh, it's you. I want him to greet me with a smile and say, welcome and well done. We all long for that, but don't necessarily want to do what's necessary in order to do um, what he's calling us to do. And again, it's it's out of fear. And I, I'm so grateful that your book, The Big uh, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing, not only points out the challenges that we'll face, but how we can do so in a way that's honoring to him and that we won't just survive but we'll thrive and flourish. That's what God's intention is for us. Absolutely. And to the people who are afraid, you know, I would say, you can do courageous things and be afraid. We don't have to have a complete absence of fear. We just have to be determined not to let fear dictate our decisions. We can, there's a, you know, there's many things that can help us overcome fear. Trust is really essential. We gain trust in God and our fear diminishes. Our love for the people around us is more powerful than the fear we feel that holds us back. So we want to start to look for those things that give us the energy and the enthusiasm to diminish the impact of fear, and then we start to act in a far more courageous way. I believe there's tremendous courage in the hearts of God's people. Mm-hmm. We haven't had permission to give expression to it. Well, today is the is the day. Um, Pastor, Pastor Jackson, so appreciative of the book, and we are looking forward to your coming here to the Portland metro area um, this fall. And thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with us here today. Well, thank you, Georgina, for everything you're doing to encourage Christians and to strengthen the church. It makes a tremendous difference. Thank you so much. Again, Pastor Alan Jackson, the title of his book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. I wanted to close with something of a prayer, he adds uh, at the close of the book. Heavenly Father, you are the creator of all things. You are Lord of the past, the present, and the future. You see the end from the beginning. I am humbled that you care about the details of our lives and have prepared a future for each one of us. I thank you that you have begun to awaken us to this most unique season. You are giving us perception, insight, and understanding. You are giving us ears that can hear and hearts that can receive in ways that seemed beyond us not long ago. Lord, we choose to turn our attention and our focus to you. You are our foundation and our strong tower. You are our deliverer and our hope. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been delivered out of a hand, out of the hand of the enemy. He has no power or authority over us, and we can rest completely in your watchful care. Holy Spirit, continue to give us the awareness and discernment we need. Teach us to encourage and strengthen one another. Thank you for choosing us to stand for you in this time and place. We want you, we want to say yes to you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and body. May you be pleased with us and welcome us with joy on that great day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception, published by Thomas Nelson. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, interesting, uh, interestingly enough, we had waited most of the day to hear from the Attorney General. He's charged with seeing justice meted out in a fair and apolitical way. Concerned that, um, that the effort to gain documents from the former president was meted out in a pretextual raid related to the January 6th investigation was not addressed in his very, very brief remarks made uh, earlier today. Uh, in response to efforts to have the indictment, the affidavit, unsealed. We'll continue to follow that story as it develops, but it has certainly resulted in a great deal of frustration that one would have hoped he could have clarified in his comments earlier today. Well, that said, the Department of Justice has indicted the would-be Iranian assassin of former National Security Advisor John Bolton and Secretary of of uh, state uh, Pompeo, that was Mike Pompeo, a 45-year-old Iranian national was indicted by the Department of Justice over a plot to assassinate the former National Security Advisor and Secretary of State. Uh, The um, uh, detainee sought to pay an individual $300,000 to carry out the assassination plot against Bolton. The Department of Justice believes that his motive was retaliation for the Trump administration's killing of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani in January of 2020, even though Bolton had left the administration in September of 2019. He was one of the loudest critics of Barack Obama's Iran nuclear deal, which Donald Trump pulled out of early in his term. The FBI uncovered the plot, which FBI Director Christopher Wray called an outrage. He explained this case is the result of hard work by many, and the FBI will continue to confront Iranian aggression and protect Americans at home and abroad. Despite the news, the White House said it would have no bearing on the president's ongoing negotiations with Iran to resurrect the infamous Iran nuclear deal. The uh, perpetrator is currently at large outside the U.S. and, if in Iran, will likely not be arrested. President Trump can't be disqualified from running for a second term for mishandling documents. Well, the media has uh, been making a lot of hay out of the FBI's uh, raid on the president's Florida estate, suggesting that he may be disqualified from running for a second term if he is found to have violated the Presidential Records Act. In making their argument, they point to federal statute 18 U.S.C. Section 2071, which deals with those in public office who willfully and unlawfully mishandled federal documents. The statute includes within its penalty for violation the disqualification from holding any office under the United States. The problem here is a conflation of at least two different statutes, as the PRA only um, established that a president's records are preserved and does not include a penalty for violation. Furthermore, the PRA does provide for the former president to have continued access to his records, including classified information. Presidential records of a former president shall be available to such former president or the former president's designated representatives, end quote. So even if Trump were to be found to have violated the PRA, uh, the notion that he would disqualify himself from running for the presidency is simply false. This is simply a political talking point uh, by those who plan to paint Trump as a criminal who therefore should be disqualified from running for the highest office in the land. Now, they may make the argument that he's a criminal, but you cannot make it on the grounds of this particular uh, act uh, based on uh, the Presidential Records Act and documents the president may possess. They may make the, the case on other grounds, but this would not be one of them. 
according to the statute. Government workers stole pandemic aid. A felon who served time for identity theft was given a job in Massachusetts, the Department of Unemployment Assistance, where, shockingly, she proceeded to engage in ID theft and stole upwards of $200,000 in pandemic relief aid. Several U.S. Postal Service workers have been found guilty of stealing stimulus checks and unemployment checks out of the mail. In other cases, city employees billed for pandemic services they never fulfilled. It's a travesty that government employees took advantage of the gaps and weak spots to game the system for personal gain, lamented Open the Books founder Adam Androwinski. It uh, tears, rips, and shreds at the whole notion of public service when government employees are so sued to... Um, wasteful spending that they view vital aid like their own monopoly money. Worse is the lack of empathy for people truly meant to be assisted by that aid. FBI Director Ray is pushing back on threats following the unprecedented raid on the former president. The FBI has issued subpoenas or paid visits to multiple Republican lawmakers. Democrat operatives control voter rolls in 31 states. Gas prices dip just below $4 for the first time in five months, at least in some places. Ford has raised the price of electronic F-150 Lightning by up to $8,500 due to significant battery cost increases. An elite Nashville girls' school announces transgender girls, a.k.a. biological boys, are welcome. A young man who left Philadelphia to escape violent crime has been shot when he returned for a funeral. The American Bar Association scrapped a controversial diversity proposal after significant blowback, and a free speech group has given 43 states failing rates. Russia is struggling to replenish its troops in Ukraine. Let's hope the struggle there continues. Well, on this day in history, 1949, President Harry S. Truman nominates General Omar Bradley to become the first chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. 1965, rioting and looting break out in the predominantly black Watts section of Los Angeles, claiming 34 lives. 1984, at the Los Angeles Olympics, American runner Mary Decker falls after colliding with South African-born British competitor Zola Budd in the 3,000-meter final. Budd finishes 7th. 1992, the Mall of America, the nation's largest shopping entertainment center, opens in Bloomington, Minnesota. 2012, Republican presidential contender Mitt Romney announces his choice of Representative Paul Ryan of Wisconsin to be his running mate. Also in 2012, Usain Bolt caps his perfect London Olympics by leading Jamaica to victory in a world record 36.84 seconds in the 4 by 100 meters. 2014, Academy Award-winning actor and comedian Robin Williams commits suicide at age 63 in Tiburon, California. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, a federal judge ordered Charlottesville, Virginia, to allow a weekend rally of white nationalists and other extremists to take place at its originally planned location downtown. Deadly violence would erupt at the rally when a man plows his car into a group of counter-protesters. Our nation needs a great deal of prayer. We recognize that this world is not favorable to the things of God and makes uh, decisions that are damaging uh, in so many ways. I hope we are not overwhelmed by it all, but are praying, recognizing that God is still sovereign, that he has a, a plan and a purpose, and that there are men and women in our circle of influence and in our sphere, Lord, that, that desperately need to hear the gospel, to see it lived out and to hear it spoken face-to-face from someone they know and trust. I hope you're doing just that. Well, I want to thank James Blend for producing and engineering today's program, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a good night.
Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.